it's really good to be a part of a family that you want to be a part of for a long period of time. And again, that doesn't mean we don't all have our rough edges. That's also part of being a family, right? And that can be a beautiful thing over a long period of time as well. And so, anyways, one of the reasons that we celebrate uh, family moments like that is because they're all too rare in a broken world, aren't they? You know, we celebrate, uh, you know, we celebrate marriages. I was telling someone, uh, my, my wife and I were bragging on the fact that we uh, hit our 15-year anniversary um, earlier this year, and uh, the, the person was like, oh, that's, that's nice. And I was thinking, oh, they must be married a lot longer. And they said, well, I said, how long have you been married? They're like 30 years. And I was like, oh, well, so thanks. Mine doesn't seem that great anymore. And then I loved this because after they put me in my place, there was someone else standing there um, who was a little bit older. And they said, I've been married 60 years. So, you know, they doubled the person that doubled me. And we celebrate healthy moments because, unfortunately, they are too rare. Because we live in a broken world, don't we? We live in a broken world, and it doesn't take long for us to consider the history of some of the relationships in our life that have been broken. It doesn't take long for us to to look online or watch the news and see things around the world that are broken, and it does not help us to try to ignore the brokenness of our world. It really doesn't. The world's broken, um, and, and we have to acknowledge that. But the beautiful thing is that God's word tells us that we can live in a broken world and still flourish. And we can flourish as long as we keep the most important things, the most important things, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. One of Caleb Bryant's rules for life is that the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. I remember it because I repeat it to myself so often. And, and I, I work at doing that every day. And as we um, look into the, the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians written by the Apostle Paul, and we'll look in again this morning, um, continuing in chapter one, we will pick up where we left off last week, that the Apostle Paul is reminding the church, and God throughout history has used the letter to the Galatians to remind his church over and over again that there is one thing that is more important than all other things. That's Jesus. Jesus is the most important thing. And you might feel like you are not good at anything in life. You might feel like you've messed up everything, you've failed at everything. You, you are one of those people that just, you don't even know what your skill set is. You're, you're a jack of no trades and a master of none. And you know what? Here's the thing. I think that Jesus might have an extra special place in his heart for you. Because you're not going to be caught up in all the other things you could focus on. All Jesus wants for you is to focus on him. And for those of us that do have other skill sets, other passions, other desires, if they aren't tied into Jesus as the most important part of those passions, desires, giftings, callings, then they will end up being meaningless. But when they're built around Jesus, they carry meaning throughout our life and into eternity. And that's really what Paul said to the Galatians in the first few verses of Galatians as we looked at last week. We looked at Jesus being the most important thing, that it's Jesus' word that directs us, gives meaning and importance and wisdom and leadership to every aspect of our lives, that it really does, it really is meant to influence how we do our jobs, how we navigate our relationships, how we see ourselves, how we think about the world around us. And when the word of God leads our lives... Jesus remains at the center, and life is the way it was meant to be. We can flourish in a broken world. And at the center of Scripture is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the news that God saw humanity in our brokenness and decided to come and engage in the brokenness with us, that God came as Jesus to live among us. 
And he lived life the way it was meant to be. And then he gave that life on the cross. Why? To take the consequences for our brokenness, to remove the curse of sin on this world, to remove the curse of our selfishness and pride by taking the consequences of that on himself. And in that moment, a perfect life laid down for imperfect ones, Jesus took all of the brokenness of the world on himself so we don't have to inherit it anymore. And then to prove that it worked, he rose from the dead. The Bible tells us that because Jesus hadn't sinned, that death could not hold on to Jesus, that though he entered death, faced death, death could not hold on to him, so Jesus conquered death. And so that message, the good news of a God who came to be with us, who came to die for us, and then rose from the dead as proof that his life and death mean something to us, that good news message, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, is at the center of the Bible, and the word says that if we will build our lives around that reality, it changes everything from broken to flourishing, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. And we're going to look into the, the book of Galatians one more time, and I want you to, I want you to open to, Je- to Galatians chapter 1, not to Genesis chapter 1, different sermon series, another time, it's a great chapter, you should read it. Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to continue on, but I want, before we jump into that, I want you to think about this. Have you ever been asked the question or asked the question, what is the good news, this message? Yes, Jesus came, died, rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Let's say I intellectually buy into that. I believe that. There's, there's a, a lot of reasons, historical and otherwise, why I should believe that. I believe that. How does that actually change my life from broken to flourishing? How does that actually change the world, you know, that's a fair question. I think that's a good question to ask. But there's a reason that Jesus focused around believing that. He focused his ministry around believing those things about him. And that's because belief really matters. What you believe matters. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about the world around you, really does matter. It's what culture calls a worldview. And your worldview dictates how you live in that world. It dictates the kind of choices that you make. It dictates what you do when you come to certain crossroads. It dictates how you see the value of someone else, particularly when you're in conflict with that person. It dictates so many decisions about our lives that dominant worldviews literally change the course of culture and of history. And the good news of Jesus is a transformative worldview. Why? Because when you base your worldview on the idea that God loves you, proved on the cross, and the idea that God can fix anything that is broken, proved through the resurrection. When you believe those two things and apply that to every situation in your life, it has incredible power to restore anything in a broken world. And that's the belief of Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. It's not just a historical fact that, oh, yes, God came. That was nice of him. He died extra nice of him. He rose from the dead. Well, he is God. That's kind of par for course. No, he did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for all of humanity. And when we believe that, when we believe that we are loved because of the cross and that there is power to change any circumstance because of the resurrection, it gives us a different way of living. 
It gives us hope. It gives us faith. It gives us love that we can't come up with on our own. And do you know that in human history, there have been no more powerful engines for transformation and restoration in the world than faith and hope and love? They're incredibly powerful. In fact, those are the types of things that allowed people to sustain themselves in moments of great suffering, that fueled people's work ethic behind some of the great decisions and moves in history, that faith and hope and love have to be built on something. If you were in our Bible reading plan, you read in Proverbs 11:7 this week that hope that is built on anything mortal will die with them. Hope built on anything temporary is temporary hope. But when you put your faith and your hope and your love on Jesus, on the good news of Jesus, that never dies. That just keeps resurrecting. That just keeps bringing more life to it. And so when we base our worldview on a God who loves us and can fix anything, it is a powerful catalyst for restoration in a broken world. And that is, what, that is the way Christians are meant to live. That is the way you are meant to do your job. That is the way you're meant to raise your kids. It's the way that you are meant to live in a broken world is with faith and hope and love that anything broken can be fixed. Doesn't that sound nice in our world today? I mean, our world, louder than ever, the cry of our world is hopelessness, is despair. I heard it defined recently, despair is simply believing that tomorrow cannot be better than today. Hope is believing that things are going to get worse, not, or hopelessness is believing things are going to get worse, not get better. But the promise of the good news of Jesus is that not only can things get better, but things will get better because God is committing, committed to restoring them. I'm so excited about this. I am like tongue-tied about it this morning. You're tracking with me, though. Figure it out. This is a catalyst for restoration in a broken world. It is. And so when you look around you at the, at the brokenness of the world, or when you have one of those moments in your life where your marriage is not the way it should be and you know it, or your parenting is not going the way it should be and you know it, or your finances or your job or your career is not, can I just ask you to pause for a moment and think, how does the good news make this better? What is the good news have for this situation? Like, how does the cross and the resurrection of Jesus inform how I respond to these circumstances? And what I can guarantee you is when you have found a response that involves faith and hope and love, you're on the right track. And the beauty of the Christian life is not everybody is meant to be a pastor, though if you feel called to ministry, come talk to me. I want to help you with that. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. Well, we kind of are called to be missionaries in every walk of life that we're in. Which means that as you live out the good news, people will see and hear about Jesus. And that is a catalyst for restoration. As they see hope and faith and love lived out in you, they can have faith and hope and love sparked in them, and they can begin to live that restored life. One of my favorite stories about this, it's a story about a, a man no longer alive, but there is the story of a man who 
um, was an incredible attorney, and he was, uh, he was an expert in tax law, and he got uh, recruited by the IRS because he was just genius level. Like, he just showed himself to be above and beyond the competition. And so he worked for the IRS for a long time, and he was an expert at navigating tax law. And one of the reasons the IRS loved him is because he could identify tax fraud from a mile away. He could see where people were evading, uh, evading paying their taxes. And so if you're like nervous right now, they're out there. Just kidding. Um, uh, if some of you are like, wait, when was I supposed to pay my taxes this year? Yes, you're a couple weeks late. Um, but this guy, was, he was an expert. Now, the problem was that he became arrogant. And over time, he realized that nobody was as good at it as he was. And he started using the system for his own benefit. He started skimming off the top a little bit, and nobody could catch him because he knew tax fraud better than anybody. And so over the course of time, and not only that, most of his fraud was built on saying people had not paid their taxes when they already had, and he could prove that they still owed more money to, to the government, and he would, he would skim that amount off of the top. And so he was taking advantage of, of good tax-paying people to pad his own bank account, living a, wonder, a, a very wealthy life. And he um, was, all of this was going well for him, except he had no friends because nobody likes that kind of a person. Um, but beyond that, he had a great life going for him. And then he met Jesus one day. He came across Jesus. And when he experienced the good news, when the, the gospel was shared with him and he thought about the fact that God came and wanted to be with him, when nobody else wanted to hang out with an IRS agent that was always checking if they had paid their taxes and maybe taking money from them either way, he suddenly found a God who wanted relationship with him. Not only that, he found a God who offered grace in the face of what he knew he had been doing that was wrong. And when this guy met Jesus, when he experienced the good news of Jesus, he responded to the invitation and everything changed about his life like that. The good news changed. He no longer needed to earn a good life. He no longer needed to, to make things happen for himself. He didn't need to take advantage of other people anymore. And this guy's life changed from taking advantage of people to actually um, confessing what he had done, paying the price for what he had done, and then he lived the rest of his life giving away more money than he had taken. What changes somebody from being a person who hijacks innocent people for his own wealth to someone who gives away his wealth, confesses his sins, and takes joy in blessing other people, the good news of Jesus. By the way, that's the story of Zacchaeus that we find in Scripture. A couple of you church people, you are like nodding. You're like, I think I know where we're going with this. But I say it, I say it that way because I want you to understand that that's what the good news should do in your career field. That's what the good news should do for your sin. That's what the good news should do for your relationships. The good news is meant to transform us. And can I tell you that being a Christ follower is not simply about following rules. That's really the heart of the message in Galatians. It's not about following rules, but it's about letting the, the genuine relational truth and love of Jesus transform your life. 
And so let's read on as the Apostle Paul now shares a little bit of his own story and how that worked in his life. And then I want to ask you at the end of the service today, how's that process working in your life? How are you continuing to be transformed by the good news of Jesus? Let's pick up in verse 11 where we left off last week. The word says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know that Paul is giving the reason here why the message of the good news is transformative? Why it changes lives everywhere it goes? Why it has the ability to change Zacchaeus into a good man and a benefactor? Why it has the ability to change Paul's life as he's about to share? It's because it's, it's not human. Now he says, I didn't come to it by human reasoning. Can I just say that we live in a day and age that wants to discredit the gospel based on logic and reason. And if you actually study the history of how scripture came to be and how the, the good news of Jesus is founded on the historical facts behind it and the logical ideas behind it, that actually the good news of Jesus is one of the most reasonable concepts in human history. There is great reason behind it. But Paul says, I want to take a step deeper and say, that's not why I'm preaching it. I'm not preaching it because it's the smartest thing in town. I'm preaching it because it came directly from God. And that's why the good news is powerful. That's why it is powerful in your life. That is why when you come to those crossroads of decisions and you ask, what does the good news mean for me right now in this moment? There will always be a powerful answer. There will always be faith, hope, and love kind of answers that will fuel you to live life as it was meant to be. And that's why when you share the good news, when you share that Jesus is the reason for the hope that you have, that Jesus is why you love people when they can't pay you back, that Jesus is why you wake up at an ungodly hour on Saturday morning to go serve your city, God bless you. Because when you say that it's because of Jesus, those around you begin to think, you have something that I don't have. Where, what is that? that and, and human beings, we love the, the scent of faith and hope and love, even when we're not sure about the source of it yet. And Paul is saying, I'll tell you the source, and I'll tell you why the good news is so restorative in a broken world. It's why we know, why we know that if we can bring the good news to places where it does not exist, that it will make good things happen. It's why our church mission can be to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. Why? Because we know that if they know Jesus, everything else can begin to change. Both practically and spiritually, life can begin to happen. Because life is restored by the good news. And Paul said, do you know why that happens? He says the good news has miraculous ability because it's straight from God. We communicate it in human words so we think, oh, it's just another human thought, just another, just another philosophical idea. And Paul says, no! It's not just that. This is straight from God to you. And we are forced to consider if Jesus came from heaven to live, die, and rise from the dead for me, and not just for my eternity, but for every moment of every day, what does that mean today? 
What does that mean? And Paul goes on to share what it meant for him. In verse, verses 13 and 14, he says, You know what I was like. Have you ever said that to anybody? Right? And, and we celebrate Pastor Kenny and, and his 10 years, and some of you remember what he was like when he first showed up. He was pretty good, okay? Some of you were like, what? what, what? Was he kind of, a, kind, of, he's kind of a project? No, that was when Chelsea first met him. She knows what he was like before Chelsea got her hands on him. And through the power of the gospel, no, just kidding. Wow, so many directions I want to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel that one in, and we're just going to say, we're going to continue on with the, the Bible. You know what I was like. Paul says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. You know, Paul, when you read Paul's writings, Paul's a passionate person. And God gifts all of us, but before the good news, our gifts can be used for really messed up things. They can be used for okay things. In Paul's case, he was using a gift that God had given him as a passionate communicator and leader. He was using it to destroy people's lives, namely Christians. He was using it to become the top dog of the Jewish law. He was using it to accomplish power and reputation and fame for himself in the name of God. He was zealous and passionate about these things. But the bottom line is, Paul says, there was nobody more against the good news than me. You guys remember what I was like? There was nobody more against it than me. Sometimes it's good for us to look in the mirror and say, do I remember what I was like before I know Jesus? Sometimes I have to remind myself of where I would be right now if I had not met Jesus. It's not in as good of a place as you are in, I'll tell you that. And Paul says, I'll tell you where I was at. I was killing Christians. I hated them because they disagreed with his worldview, right? And Paul was a horrible person. He stood there. I cannot imagine what this would have taken. He stood there and held the coats of those he had encouraged to stone the martyr, Stephen. It's like, oh, you need a hand to pick up a rock? Let me hold your coat for you. He's right over there. That's messed up, to say the least. And Paul is saying that. And here's the beautiful thing. God saw Paul at his worst, and he's like, I can work with that. I can restore that. That's really broken, but I can fix that because the gospel says that God loves you and he can fix anything. And he loved Paul, even though Paul hated him, and he could fix anything, and he fixes Paul, doesn't he? And the beautiful thing for you is that God has seen you at your worst. Might have been yesterday, but he's seen you at your worst, and he still loves you, and he's saying, I can, I can fix that if you want me to. I can do something great with that if you want me to. And that's the beautiful thing about God fixing. When he fixes something, he always leaves it better than it started. God's not intimidated by a broken world. He created it to be beautiful. Human beings broke the world, and he's going to restore the world. But God never restores things back to what they were. He restores them to something better. You guys know people like that. I mean, you know, it's the classic, like, do-it-yourself dad. Like, I'm going to break it, and then I'm going to make it even better in my head, 
Never works out that way for me in reality. But, the, but God can. And so I want you to understand what Paul was trying to communicate to the Galatians. What God wants you to know this morning is that the good news can restore your worst into something wonderful. The good news can make what was good even better. He can take your brokenness and turn it around and fix it into something glorious. And that is why basing your worldview on a God who loves you and can fix anything is a powerful catalyst for restoration in a broken world, and it's a powerful catalyst in your life. Reading on, he continues to tell the story. Verse 15, he says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Do you know Paul hated the Gentiles? Part of being that zealous religious leader was that he hated the Gentiles. And he says, before I was born, God, God saw me, he chose me, he loved me. And then when he saw that brokenness in my life, he's like, you know what I'm gonna do with this guy? I've got a great plan for him. All the people he hates most, I'm gonna use him to show them the greatest message of love the world has ever seen. And that's what he did. And what does Paul call it? He calls it marvelous grace. Talked about grace last week. Marvelous grace, you don't deserve it. You, you shouldn't get it. In fact, you should get the opposite. And yet God gives you his favor, his blessing. He, when he knows that you are going to mess up what he has given you. He created you with a plan. He knew you would mess it up. And he chose you anyways, saying, I love you that much. I can fix anything. And I have a better plan at the end than I started with at the beginning. It's the good news. And I want you to know this morning that God wanted you before you wanted him. It's a good thing for us to remember. God wanted you. There's a lot of people in my life that have put up with me. I don't know how many of them wanted me. It's probably true for you too. But God wanted you. Long before you ever wanted him, he wanted you. And God gave you eternal relational purpose in whatever setting he has put you in. It might be a job you hate. It might be a marriage that's rough. I don't know what your situation is, but God has placed you there with relational purpose to live out and share the good news. Why? Because it's as you share the good news, it restores you and it restores other people. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, not only did God restore me by sending me to the Gentiles, but now he's restoring Gentiles by sending me to the Gentiles. When you live out the good news, it has a dual purpose. It blesses your life and it blesses someone else's life. It restores you, it restores someone else. There is always a dual purpose, and I want you to also know that not only did God want you and choose you, but God has also given you the good news to heal those around you. God's given you the good news, not just for you, but to heal those around you. So are you living it? Are you speaking it? Are you praying it to the broken people in your life? I'm gonna leave it at that. Paul goes on in verse 16, and he says, When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. And then three years later, I went to, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, the other apostle. 
And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. And after that, I, that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. I just want to stop there and say, why is Paul giving this, this series of timelines and locations and all these other things? He's, he's demonstrating the process that it took for him to get from where he was at to where he is now. He's showing that there was a process, and he's showing that, number one, he wanted them to understand what he said in the beginning, that what had happened in his life was not because he had this long-term relationship with Peter, and Peter really mentored me. No, God mentored him. He says, hey, I spent some time with Peter. I learned some things from Peter, but that was about 15 days. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. What God has done in me, he has done over a period of time, and no human leader can take credit for it. It's a God thing. But I think sometimes we hear stories like Paul's and we think that, man, on the Damascus Road, when, when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, that all of a sudden Paul went from a jerk to a superhero. And that's not the way the good news usually works. That's not the way it's working in human history. Do you ever feel like Jesus is taking his sweet time in restoring a broken world? And he's like, yeah, I am. Do you ever feel like Jesus has taken his sweet time in restoring you? I definitely feel that way sometimes when I, you know, I, I wrestle with an old sin or an old motive or something like that. And I'm like, oh, what, really? I thought I was done with that. I thought I dealt with that. And Jesus is like, we're still working through. Why doesn't Jesus just do it in a moment? Occasionally he does to demonstrate his power, but most often the good news restores us in a process. Why? Because Jesus loves relationship. Jesus isn't like out there just to do magic tricks and like boom, 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 and here's one for you and one for you and one for you. Jesus wants relationship more than he wants credit. He wants to be known more than he wants our awe, though he is worthy of our awe. He wants relationship, and that's why he loves the process. He loves the journey, and restoration is a journey and a destination. We focus on the destination. We're like, Jesus, I want to be perfect, and I want everybody to know it, which is, still needs to be worked out. And Jesus is like, we'll get there. We'll get there. But first, we're going to walk side by side way longer than you want to. Do you ever ever have a teacher that took way longer? Because they love the process of unwrapping the information and seeing your mind grasp it. Right? Do you ever have a parent that was like, hey, this is gonna take a while? I told my son, I told my son yesterday, I had one of those great dad moments where I was ready for it. And I just said, hey, son, someday you're gonna be a man and there's gonna be some hard things that you have to go through to get there. And I said, and when you turn 13, we'll start, we'll start going through it. And he's like, going through what? I was like, don't worry about it. It'll be hard. We'll talk about it then. He was like, really? I'm nine. It's good for us to go through a process. It's good for us to be on a journey. We grow the way we are meant to grow when we take the time to do it. And Jesus leads us. His good news leads us. He leads us through this process of restoration 
And we have to be faithful in the process. We have to keep coming back to the good news in the process. We have to keep coming back and saying, okay, the good news says that I'm going to be restored. Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose from the dead to prove it. Just because the process is frustrating or difficult right now does not mean it's a lost cause. It means I need to get back to the good news and say, Jesus, you died to cleanse me from this sin. You rose from the dead to set me free from this sin. Why am I still struggling with this sin? Or Jesus, you died, from the, you died on the cross to give me new purpose. You rose from the dead to prove it to me. I have this calling and it's not going well. I'm hitting every wall. What is the problem? And Jesus is saying, yeah, I rose from the dead how many years ago? 2,000 some? And the world's still not fixed? If he can be patient, you can be patient. It doesn't mean the calling and the purpose isn't divine. It means that the process is worth it to God. And it will be worth it to you. When you look back from the lens of eternity, you'll be like, man, God, I'm so glad you took your sweet time on that one. I'm so glad you were patient on that one. Which is what we're told in Scripture, that Jesus is being patient, calling people to himself. We're the ones that are impatient. And what you can be confident of is that Jesus wants to bring that restoration in your life. And he closes the passage with this incredible statement. I hope that it's a statement that in some way, shape, or form is said about me and you in our own context. But he says this, he says, and still, oh, excuse me, starting in verse 23, all they knew, they didn't know Paul personally, but all they did know was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. I hope for you and for me that whether people know you well or they only know you a little bit, that when they see you, when they hear your story, when they know where you came from and where you are now, that they'll say, I don't know how he got from there to there, but man, God did something great and they're praising God because of me and because of you. I hope that people will look at us and see something that we couldn't do on our own. I hope that people will look at us and say, and do you know what, you need to tell your kids the story at an appropriate age, right? You need to tell the kids the story of who you were before. If you grew up in a Christian home, you need to tell the story of some of the transformative moments where Jesus called you closer to himself, where he rocked your world and it changed the trajectory of your life. If you haven't had any moments like that, then you need to seek God's face because he has those moments for all of us. He does not just want religion from you. He wants relationship. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into your career. He has a plan for your life that goes far beyond your plan. And if you can't share the story with your kids or your friends or the other people that you spend time with, this is where I was going and this is where God changed the direction of my life. Then you don't know Jesus yet. But you can because he loves you and he can fix anything. It's the good news of Jesus. People need to hear the story, and hopefully at the end of our lives, you know even the centurion that crucified Jesus, that mocked him, beat him, and crucified him, when he saw the way that Jesus died, what did he say? He said, that really was the Son of God. I can't imagine the regret, the grief, the horror he must have felt after that confession of faith. But do you know what I know he was met with? A God who loves him and can fix anything. That's what he was met with. That's what's waiting for you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is meant to bring radical restoration to you and through you. If you hear the good news and you sit there and you're like, 
oh, I'm glad the pastor preached a theologically accurate representation of the good news today. If I ever don't do that, leave this church. But hopefully that's a given. But if you hear the good news and you're like, yes, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me purpose. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me more than anyone's ever loved me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving purpose to what otherwise might feel purposeless in my life. That's the appropriate response to the good news. That we praise God because of what he's done. And then as you walk out your life every day, let the good news hang as a banner on your life. Let it hang as a banner over your doorway. Let it be what you think about on your commute. Let it be what you think about when you're wrestling through things. Let it be what you think about when you pray for people. Let it be what you think about because it is the only reality that really matters. It's the only worldview that will last that is not purely mortal. And it's a good one, full of faith and hope and love. God loves you, and he can fix anything. I love that because I make a lot of messes. I hate that, but Jesus can fix anything and make it better than it ever was before. I believe that's true. And if that is true, what can Jesus change in your life? If that's true, what can Jesus change in your life today? What can Jesus change in your life this week? What can Jesus change in your life as you navigate the future? Are there lost causes in your life? Because the gospel says there's no lost cause. There is no lost cause. And you know, Hebrews 11 tells us that some of the greatest heroes of faith, some of the people that are getting a big badge in heaven or whatever we get, crowns and all sorts of other symbolic things, whatever. But it's people that never gave up on a lost cause. People that persevered when everyone else said give up. People that believed that God called them so they went. People that believed that God said it was gonna happen so they believed. And it says, even though some of them didn't see in this life what was promised to them, you better believe they're seeing it now in the next life. You better believe that there's restoration waiting. There is no lost cause in your life or around you. And so what does Jesus want to change because of his good news. It is a catalyst for restoration to believe that. So what are you going to believe it about? What are you believing for? Do you know that, that Christians should be the most realistic about the state of our nation and yet the most hopeful? We shouldn't just be like blowing smoke, like everything's great. It's not. But we should be like, no, it's broken but God loves this nation and he can fix anything. We should say about politicians of our choosing, they're broken. They're not Jesus. But God can fix anything. We should say about every situation, now that's a cultural application. What does it look like in your career? You might feel like it's a dead end. God can fix anything. He can use anything. God loves you too much to let you waste your life if you will bring it to him. The crazy thing about the good news is we get to respond to it. It's not forced on us. God doesn't 
program our brains so that we have to look at things through the good news. He says here, it's, it's available to you, it's true, it's powerful, it'll change your life, it'll heal the world, eventually this will be the source of me restoring everything that's broken in the world, but it's up to you whether you want to be part of that or not. We all have to respond to it. As we close today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and I simply want you to consider the good news. I want you to consider, like Paul did, what has the good news accomplished in your life? Has it accomplished something that is only straight from God? Has it accomplished something that can only be accredited to God? Something that fills you with praise? What is it that God has done in your life? And I ask you to reflect on that because sometimes we need that to have faith for what God wants to do. Do you know, I believe that we are in a unique season. As a church family, I think we are, and I think that for all who are willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing in his church worldwide, I think that we are in a unique season as a world, definitely as a culture. And here's the deal, I know, see he's calling somebody right now. Again. Here's what I know. Jesus is calling his church to be the church. He's calling his people to not to do something different, but definitely to do something better. He doesn't, he doesn't call me to stop being a dad. Once he made me a dad, I will always be a dad. But he definitely calls me to be a better dad over and over again. When I deem that he had called me and given me the opportunity to marry my wife, he will never call me to be not married to my wife. But he always calls me to be better at it. When he called me into ministry, I don't think that he ever is gonna be like calling me out of ministry. He might call me to different seasons, but he's always calling me better, closer, deeper in, and he's doing the same for you. He's doing the same for you. He has more for you. And I don't know what he's calling you to. He may call you into his ministry in an in a all-in career change kind of way, or he may just call you to make your career a ministry and show you a different way of looking at it. I don't know if he's going to heal your marriage in a moment or if he's going to call you to make your marriage your ministry. And so many other ways that the good news applies to our lives. But the question this morning is, what is the good news call you to change? For some of you this morning, it might call you to change your worldview. What do you believe? Who are you living for? What is it based on? Is it based on something that's merely mortal? Because Jesus is offering you to base your life on something that's truly divine. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I just want to ask you to consider that for a moment. What is Jesus calling you to? I'm going to ask you to respond to him, but first I want you to listen to him. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, that's your response. I want to pray for you, but can I just ask with heads bowed, would you just lift a hand that you want to know Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, you haven't given your life to him, but you want to, anybody in the room? It's a powerful step of transformation. Awesome. 
for all of us. What is God calling you to do? What's he speaking to you? Holy Spirit, come and speak to your people. You've spoken to us through your word. Now speak to us personally. Show us what your good news is meant to do. In Jesus' name, amen.